0: So we are journeying through the epistle of James. Don't know if you guys have had a chance to read James on your own time. Would definitely invite you to do so. I think these Sundays are going to work much better if there's some personal study that's combined to it. You're just going to get a lot more. And I promise you, these verses are rich. Every installment is rich. And I think today is no exception. So we've been making our way through James, and the very first topic that James addresses in chapter 1 has been, say it out loud, it begins with S, suffering. Now i got to say this, James has some very counterintuitive thoughts about suffering. Have you guys noticed that as you're reading chapter 1? Now, we've, we've been taught to think about suffering a certain way ever since we were little. And here is James challenging how we think about suffering and pain. Now, here are some examples. Like right out the gate, when we go through suffering, we are unhappy we are incredibly unhappy. We're kind of shaking our fists thinking it's not fair. And here is James right out the gate saying that when you suffer, count it all joy. Okay, that's very counterintuitive, right? Here's another one. Sometimes Christians can develop a thinking like, because I'm a Christian and because I follow God, then the really nasty stuff of life, I think I'll be spared from that. I think God will spare me from that. And here is James going trials of, what's that word, various kinds. Which, in other words, James is saying, actually, honestly, even the really nasty stuff can happen to the Christian who loves God. Okay, that, that's, that's counterintuitive. How about this one? Last week we covered thoughts from James about wisdom when you're suffering. Now this is counterintuitive too, because I think that we kind of think that wise people have resources to figure it out. It's foolish people who need help. Here's James like, no, 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 don't you understand? Wise people know they need help, and so they ask God for help First. It's the foolish people who think they don't need help. Very counterintuitive, right? You guys with me? Even if you're not with me, just nod your head and say, yeah, I'm with you. All right, all right, well, let's keep on going. Okay, so I think it's no exception that James is going to continue on these very counterintuitive thoughts. Maybe the next one is the most counterintuitive. Maybe. I know it's really challenging. Now, here is James, and we're just going to go through a couple of verses, but it's almost like James is saying that all your life, you've been thinking a certain way and wanting to go down a certain path. And I imagine James saying, you know, your dream, the path you want to walk down, I'm going to challenge your thinking today. I imagine James saying that, I'm going to challenge your thinking, I'm going to push the envelope a little further Now, what James does, and and again, I want you to imagine James saying that, you know, so far in, in this chapter, we've been talking about suffering and trouble and pain. Today, I'm going to share with you a different kind of trouble. Let me hear you say different. Okay, it's a problem that you wouldn't naturally think would be a problem, except This kind of problem is worse than suffering. Now, some of you are going through some bad suffering. You can't imagine something being worse. I want you to imagine, James, actually, this one is worse. Let me hear you guys say worse. Okay, so we're going to go into this passage, but let me give you a preview because I don't want anyone to get lost. We're going to ask three questions. Who is James talking about? Number two. What is the problem that James identifies as different and worse than the problem of suffering, if you can even imagine that? And number three, what does this problem do to a person? All right, that's where we're going. Who, what, and what. Okay, starting in verse 9, here are the words of James. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Pay attention, and the rich in his humiliation. Okay, stop. All right, let me just ask the question: Like, who is James talking about? I want you to look at the word that he uses to describe the people who are going to be humiliated. It's a very disturbing word. If I had the opportunity to talk to James, I say, James. Please do not use that word. It's an offensive word, and you're making these sweeping generalizations. I don't think that's fair. I would like to contest James in his usage of the word rich. James, I don't like how you use that word. I mean, come on. There's there's a lot of rich people who are also godly, right? Sweeping generalization. But let me say this. James, do you know, stands in good company to use that word. It was his very own biological brother, who is the son of God, who said how hard it is for the rich. The rich, he used that word, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Who said that? That was Jesus. Okay, so I got a problem with James sharing that word. Imagine James going, well, you know, I'm in good company, you know. And plus, James is speaking with apostolic authority. Okay, so, so he uses the word rich. We got that. Now, here is the second part. Here is the more scary part. Who here, it's got a mass confession time. Who here, you can raise your hand. if it's. Who here would say, yeah, I'm rich. Go ahead. Raise it boldly. Raise it boldly. Oh, there's only 10 people here who are rich. Oh, interesting. Okay, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem, okay, let me put it this way. When I was a kid, I finally figured things out. I was looking around. We had like, what, like a five-bedroom house? Like, Mom, do we own this house? She said, yes. I knew a little bit about property in the Bay Area. I said, we own this house? She said, yes. Now, I was thinking about my friend at school who rents. I'm thinking, we own. He rents. So I made a conclusion. I said, I turned to my mom and I said, Mom, are we rich? That's what I said, all right? Now, I just said that it's an innocent question, and my mom gave, like, she said no, but it was the longest no. You, no, you know, you know, like I, I, I cussed her something, right? She said, no, no, no. And then she points at someone at church. Like, we weren't at church, but you know, you know so-and-so? They're rich. We are middle class. <laughs> oh, okay. We're middle class. Thank you. See, here's the problem. We go, okay, who's rich? And no one raises their hands. Well, we got 10 who are brave to raise their hands. But, but virtually, no one's like, that's not me. And here's what we do. We point to someone else. Who 's got more money than we do? And we go, no, them, they're rich I 'm middle class, right? Okay. well, let's kind of work with this a little bit, all right? Um, I was thinking about this here today. Work with me in this this morning. Did people eat well for breakfast? Raise your hand if you ate well for breakfast like. Like, you could have had more if you wanted to have more, and you ate probably more than you should have. Quest, raise your hand. I know you. Come on. Right? Okay. Okay, here's number two. How many of you have food in the fridge? Okay, everyone here, you got food in the fridge, so you're probably not worrying about your next bite. Now, number three, Stakes are bigger. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but have had an opportunity for higher education? Let me, let me go even further. How many of you have access to medical care? Okay, guys, I hate to break this news to us, but we're rich. We're rich. Now look, it's like this. If 99% of the world points to the people in this room and says, yeah, they're the rich ones, 99%, okay, chances are we're rich. Okay, we're rich. Now, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm raising my hand. I am rich. I am stinking. I can't remember the last time I worried about food. I never worry about food. If I'm hungry, believe me, I eat, okay? And here's the thing. I've had opportunities for higher education. I could fall off the stage and there will be two doctors here to help me, right? You guys, would, you guys would help. Or Maybe not. Maybe not. But my point is, I am rich, And I think the people in this room, just by virtue of where you live and the access you have, can say, yeah, I'm rich. So let's do this again. Who here is rich? Raise your hands with me. Okay, much better response now. Okay. So, whatever problem James is going to address, then it would apply to us, right? It's not them over that person over there, this person. It's us, right? So we're in this together. This applies to us. Yes? Yes. Okay, now here is the problem that James says. Here we go. No, 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 now imagine you know, we are following James' train of thought. He's like, I'm gonna reveal a problem that's different from suffering. And as far as I can tell from James, it's worse than suffering. Okay, here it is. He says, the rich, he says, the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, verse 11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So, okay, what is the problem that James is addressing here that's different from suffering? And James saying, oh, it's even worse. There was a great Puritan preacher by the name of John Flavel and he wrote in the 1600s and he shared some brilliant spiritual insight. You could say he was even ahead of his time. But he presents 12 situations that are tremendously dangerous on a spiritual level. Like during these situations, these 12, a person has to be extremely diligent to protect their hearts from corruption. Okay, so he's talking about the dangers of these situations. And he's throwing out dangers like sickness and death approaching and time of persecution. But do you know what the number one trial is that John Flavel identifies? The number one dangerous situation is prosperity. Now in the context of James, it's the situation of actually having no problems. Where everything is growing, everything is going well, prosperity. James is saying that that situation is extremely spiritually dangerous. Now, let me ask you do you agree with James? St. Bernard has this great quote. He says, It's very rare to find a humble man in prosperity. Is that true? Uh, Raina and I are watching a movie on Netflix. It's not really that we want to see them. It's because it's free and we pay for them. And so we look at the new trending movies and there was one on Pele. I don't know if you guys saw that in Netflix, but there it was. And so I think I was bored one night and I started watching it and I said, Raina, you got to come see this. It's really good. And it was really good. Like, there's moments where it was kind of cheesy, but it was really powerful. And I don't know if you guys know the story of Pelé, but he comes from the slums of Brazil. Like, dirt poor, you know, uh, in, in the slums. And then at age 16, he makes it to the World Cup. And he is such an amazing player, so skilled that he and his team win the next three World Cups on a worldwide international stage. And so he became, in a sense, a worldwide household name. This is like a 17-year-old, and this was Pele. Now, well, of course, we're really inspired by his story. It's, a, it's the perfect rags-to-riches story, and he was so famous, you know. And so Raina and I are immediately interested, and so we're, like, telling the kids about it, and they're asking questions like what happened to him. And so you know what you do when you, like, watch a movie. You, you, you Wikipedia it. So that's what we did. So Raina's like, let me Wikipedia, you know, Pele, find out more about his life, what happened after he aged sixteen, after he won like, you know, the first World Cup. And as she's doing this, I turn to her and I go, Hey, I bet you, I don't know what made me say this, but you know on Wikipedia where it has like personal life and you can click on that? I don't know what made me say this, but I said I said, I bet you he had multiple affairs. I don't know what made me say that. You know, it's, it's not like that's the only measure of a man, but it is an integrity measure of sorts. It's a moral measure. I was like, yeah, I think, I bet you he's had moral, a bunch of uh, uh, multiple affairs. And then Raina goes, you don't know that. How can you say that? I just got a feeling. Well, it turns out actually that he was celibate and he gave half of his riches to the poor. That is so not true. That did not happen. You know what happened? He had multiple affairs right? He would have uh, spouses, and he would cheat on them. Now, I'm just asking you, do you think it's a coincidence? Do you believe the spiritual truth that James is putting here? Do you believe it? Do you think there's a connection between prosperity, everything's going well, and maybe inward pride? You know, prosperity and... Moral decisions that are, are a clear distraction from the, the will of God. Connection, yes or no? Do you, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you believe what James is saying? Is there a connection there? So James seems to be making the point that the greatest spiritual trouble is having no trouble. That the greatest problem for faith development is having no problems. That the greatest danger for spiritual dryness is prosperity. Do you buy that? Do you believe that? Let me say this. If you do believe that, then it might explain a few things. What do I mean by that? I think a lot of us are in this room and... There is some pain going on in our lives. And the desperate prayer of our heart is God, in your mercy, would you please take this pain away? And that's the cry of our heart. That's, that's our prayer. Can it be that James is saying, Of course, God can take it away. And perhaps in time he will. But do you realize that if God were to take that pain away, it could leave you with a greater problem, and that is the problem of prosperity, that God is trying to, through the pain, get you to go a certain way to become more like Jesus, and if he were to remove that pain, then you would be on a different course, not becoming more like Jesus, but becoming less. More superficial, less deep, loving God less, less committed to his purposes. So there's a greater danger, more danger risk than suffering itself and its prosperity. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, okay, you got to break that down to me, Pastor Andrew. Like, you got to explain to me what, how does prosperity work in a person's life so it brings them to moral compromise? Like, come on, riches are not bad in and of themselves. Abraham had a lot of camels, right? Okay. So let's look at these few verses, and we're asking the question, like, can you explain why prosperity is spiritually dangerous? How does it work? What's the bad in prosperity? Okay, I think that's a really good question. Uh, so look at verse 11, okay? Now, if you look at the text, there's a lot of metaphors going on. Yeah, You see that, right? But you're kind of asking, what does James tell us about how prosperity works in our hearts? Like, does James give us any sort of explanation as to what's going on? A lot of metaphors, I get that. Is James giving us at least a clue? Okay, well, let's, let's look at what he wrote, verse 11. We're looking for something. We're looking for why is prosperity, what does prosperity do? Okay, verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat withers the grass and its flowers fall and its beauty perishes so also will the rich fade away in the mist of his what's the next word say it together with me ah there is the hint what does prosperity do to a person It pollutes your pursuits. It derails your desires. In three words, you get distracted. So what makes the rich man like grass that withers and like flowers that fall? It's his pursuits. It all comes down to what are you pursuing What are you after? What are you desiring? What is it that you really want in this life? I mean, can we as a church take a moment and just be completely honest? What is it that you really want? What is it that you really want today? If you get one request from God today, what would be the first thing you would say? Just be totally honest. Is it the corner office? Is it a happy marriage? Is it, is it successful kids? Is it get into medical school? Maybe it's all the above. I want a successful career, happily married with successful kids. I want the entire package. Now, Now listen, you're saying... Yo, where, where are you going with this, Pastor Andrew? Can I not desire comfort? Can I not desire the corner office? Are you saying that we should all become missionaries and move to, to Thailand and live on 15K a year and eat instant noodle every day? Maybe. But doesn't it come to the heart? Doesn't it come to what's inside? It's not like can you can you enjoy comforts, but what is your first pursuit? What is inside you that that says if I can just have this, I want this, and then there's secondary things. But I just I just want what is what is that thing that you want more than anything else? Is it the corner office? Is it comfort? Is it success? Or is that you are burned up with the glory of God and you are all in for God's glory and his purposes for your life? Right? Isn't this what it's about? Isn't that why the, the rich man is fading away? What is the rich man after? What are you after? What am I after? Now, I, I, I was doing some reflection on this message and I was thinking about like the last two years of my life. Just doing some reflecting, and I was thinking, like, what are the low points in my last two years? I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Maybe you can think, like, some similar thoughts if you think about just 2018. Where were those moments that you were the furthest away from God, the least connected? And I was thinking about that, and the answer that came up kind of surprised me. I feel a little silly sharing this with you, but it's it's just true. The times where I felt least connected to God in 2018, 2017, it was on vacation. I, I, I don't know if you guys can relate, but you would think that a, a pastor like me, I finally get time to do more Bible reading, I finally get time to do more prayer, that I'd be doing more of that. But here's the thing, on vacation, I don't. I do less. And it's because, because there's Good food, good people, good fun. Who needs God? I'm just being honest with you. Vacation is when I become spiritually dry. Do you want to know the times in my last two years where I was the most plugged into God? Where I was the most sold out on His purposes? Oh my gosh. It was during the times of suffering. Like I've told you before, I have this perpetual health condition. Sometimes it flares up. And um, there are times when... My health condition is making me so incredibly frustrated. And Raina has heard me say this several times. And I would just say, you know, Raina, I just want to run my race and go home. And I've said that to her often, you know, I I think suffering does something to your heart where you're just, I'm just done messing around. I'm done with distractions. God, I just want to fulfill your purposes in my life. And I don't want to go home. I wasn't made for this world anyways. I don't want to just squander. I don't want to just get distracted. I want to run my race and go home. You guys ever feel like that? When do you feel like that? It's normally not at Disneyland. It's normally when you're in pain. Wow, pain has a way of really helping you prioritize what's important. You guys, if your heart is distracted, you know, there's something you can do about it. I don't think the message of this message is, hey, your heart's distracted, well, fix yourself up. No, 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 no. You can take your distracted heart and you can go to God and you can say, God, help me to purify my heart so that my first pursuit is you. You can do that. God can take a messed up heart. Nothing will surprise him. And by his grace, he can cleanse it. He can purify it. But the question is, are you willing to give God your heart and say, God, come and change my pursuits so that I I love you first and foremost, I love other people, I love the poor, and I'm serving the world. Today we're going to have an opportunity to do that. But let's say you're here and you're just being honest. Let's say you're here and you're like, okay, Pastor Andrew, you're talking about distractions and, and your first pursuit in life. I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe you're here you're like, honestly, God is not my first pursuit. But Pastor Andrew, you haven't really said anything to compel me. I really don't have any plans to change that. I know it's what I should do, but I'm not really motivated to do it. Why? Because I love my blank. I love my comforts. I don't really want to change because I'm pretty good where I'm at. And maybe you can relate to that. Well, I think I would respond to you really by employing James's reasoning here. That is not me trying to convince you. Let me just walk through the argument of James. I think this is what James would say to you. So, so, so maybe you hear like, you know, something, yeah, I'm, I am distracted, I'm chasing after other things, but I have no plan to change that. I'm just going to keep on going because really I'm built for prosperity. That's what I want. I'm going for it and I have God on the side. Okay. Then I think James would say, well then he's talking about desires, he's talking about pursuits. I think James would say, well okay, well, what do you want? And maybe, maybe here, you're here today like, okay, this is what I want. I want the corner office. I want to be married and I want to have children. I want to be happy. And imagine James you'd say, okay, no, Great, boom. Let's say it's yours. God gives you the desire of your heart. How do you feel? I think you would say, I feel great. I think you would say, I feel wonderful. And then James would say, okay, let's roll the tape 20 years later. God's given you the desires of your heart. You're on the track of prosperity. What's happening? You're saying, well, I'm breaking new levels in my career. Great. I'm vacationing in Hawaii. Awesome. My kids are going to Harvard. Great. People look at me and they want my life. Okay, how do you feel? Great, wonderful. James, like, by the way, those be flowers, but let's continue. Okay. So James goes, okay, let's roll the tape. Twenty years later, you're still on this prosperity track. What's happening now? He's like, twenty years later. Okay, twenty years later. What am I doing? Twenty years. I'm. Well, twenty years later, I think the issue is health. People say, if I don't have my health, I don't have everything. Okay. So I'm really healthy, and I'm retired, and I'm traveling around the world, and I have relationships, and life is still happy. It's an afterglow kind of thing. And James is like, great, wonderful, good health, awesome. And then James goes, and then 20 years after that? And we go, well, I guess I'd be dead unless Google finds a way to prolong my life. And uh, tell me what happens right before you die. This is James' in this argument. Well, I'm, I guess I'm looking back on my life. I'm looking back on my investments. I'm looking back at what I've invested in and my values and my decisions. And I'm realizing that all those things were for this life. But I can't take any of those with me to what's going to happen to me now. And then James is saying, okay, in that moment when you do die, what happens next? Well, I'm standing Before God. And I'm realizing that with him. I wasn't rich at all. Realizing that I made some bad choices. I'm feeling a lot of regret. I'm feeling like maybe I just wasted my life. And James says. For the sun rises with its scorching heat. And withers the grass. And its flowers fall. And its beauty perishes. Perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the mist of his pursuits. What's the theme here? James is saying like look, what is going to last? James is saying we got to have an eternal perspective. James is saying, look, you might be on the prosperity track, but it's not too late. You can get off of it. Now, we're not talking about career. It doesn't mean that you leave here and God wants me to change my career. It could be that. But we're talking about the heart. We're talking about time and energy and priorities. We're talking about your pursuit. What is that first pursuit? And now I I I know for a lot of us, you know, we're talking. Pastor Andrew, you talk about twenty years down the line, twenty years down the line. I I just feel like that's so far away that it doesn't seem relevant. I mean, I I'm really into my life right now, and you're talking about fifty years from now, however long I have, it doesn't seem very relevant. Okay. Well, let me try to answer that. Is this relevant? What I'd like you guys to do is uh, um what I like you to do is just I like to, I'd like you to just show me the the back of your palm. Would you just do that for me? Just humor me a little bit. Would you show me the back of your palm? Now would you show show the next person the back of your palm? Yeah, thank you, thank you. And I want you to just to go ahead and study that palm and just hold it out like that, okay? You know, it was an interesting thing, the things that I remember of all the lessons that my mom taught me. There was one time I was sitting with my mom and she said, show me the back of your palm. And I did. And then she took the back of her palm and she put it next to mine. And she said, look at the back of our hands. Did I say the back of your palm? People don't say that, do they? The back of your hand. (laughs) Show me the back of your hand. That's what I meant. Um, and here's what she did. Uh, she, there was my hand right here, and there was her hand right here. And then she said, pinch the back of your hand. And so I pinched it. And right away when I pinched it, all that bunched up skin, the moment I released, went and spread out thin. It just spread out. It became, became just smooth, just the moment that I pinched it. And then it's a funny thing. She said, pinch my hand. And I did. And for a fraction of a second, it remained bunched, and then it went smooth. And she turned to me and said, yeah, that will happen to you when you're older. And I never forgot that. Uh, that I don't know how long ago, well, that was like maybe 25 years ago. I, I, was in, I was in the car with my children. And we're taking my, my kids all the way to Walnut Creek to go and visit my mom. And uh, it's a long route. And, uh, and, you know, there's traffic. And so they can do something which they do on very, very rare occasion is they can whine, you know? And so they're whining about having to go like and see my mom. And here's the thing. I, I don't want to tell my kids, you should just do it because dad told you to do it. I actually want to motivate their, their hearts. And so there's been times where I'm like listing reasons, you know, like, well, you know, mom can be fun. Like if you really try hard, mom can be fun. And if you, 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 you talk about different things and mom can be funny, sometimes mom will say things you don't. And, but none of these things are working. And then finally at the end, I said, look, here's the reason why we need to go. I don't know how much longer we have with mom." I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but I, I was just leaning down the line. I don't know how much longer we have with her. Mom is 74, and the time is precious, and the time is short. So I, I want us to really love on Amma. Can we do that? Okay. Actually, that argument really did work, to be honest with you. They were, they were a lot more motivated. So we went, and we, we had conversation with Amma, and then on the car ride home, I'm looking at my mom's hand, the back of her hand. She's sitting right next to me. And at a stoplight, I just grabbed it because the tips are all skewed a certain way, you know? When she holds it straight, her fingertips are going a certain way. And I'm looking at her hand, and no one's pinching it, but it's all bunched up. And for a moment, I was looking at my mom's hand, and I realized what I was saying to my kid is true. The time is short it just seemed like yesterday that she was giving me that little motivational talk about pinching skin. Now I'm looking at the back of my hands. They look like hers when she gave me that lesson. You guys, the point is the time is short. I, I know some people will say, no, I got 50 years. No, that will go by in an instant. The time is short. We don't have time for distractions. We need to be clear. My heart and my life are for the priorities of God. We don't have time to waste. Soon, you will be in that place, and there, you, you'll pinch, and it won't go flat. It will be, it'll be permanently bunched up. Time is short. We don't have time for distractions. We just don't. I'm remembering that poem that says, Only one life, it'll soon be past." Only what's done for Jesus will last. Have you ever, in your life, given your heart over to God? Have you ever done that? I I know you do it in little bits and little places. In a bit, we're going to have communion. And if you have never fully done that, and made a radical break from this track of prosperity, where your first pursuit is, I don't know, your comforts, your agenda, there is an opportunity during communion for you to say, God, have all of my heart. Have my first pursuit. Now, here's the thing. When you do that, you're not saying that you're already there. You're not saying, God, I love you first. Confirm it. No. You can bring a divided heart to God and say, God, would you please cleanse it? Now, here's the thing. When I pray for you guys, I pray for purity of heart. But you know what I don't pray? I don't pray, Lord, give them suffering so they will have, you know, they'll have clarity on their priorities. I don't pray that for you guys. And I'm not wishing it upon you guys. But would you, with the clarity of James's reasoning, 20 years, 50 years, what matters? God, I want that life, not this life. I want to get off the prosperity track. My heart is yours. No, no. would you be willing to do that? And when you kneel down, you can say, God, here's my divided heart. Cleanse it for your purposes. I don't know, maybe after that there needs to be a plan. Maybe you're going to be reading your Bible more. Maybe you're going to join a home group. Maybe you're going to have more accountability. But it starts with prayer. Saying, here's my heart, God. Take all of me. I cannot make you my first pursuit by myself. You're going to have to do something in my heart. And he will. The question is, will you give your heart over to the Lord? I want to leave you these last words of hope. I also want to clarify, if there is a take-home truth to this message, this is it. It's really easy to remember. The time is short. Look at the back of your hand. The time is short. Soon it will be leathery. Soon it will be permanently bunched. The time is short. It is way too short to get distracted with other pursuits. Make your first pursuit the glory of God. Loving God, loving other people, serving the world, and say, God, I want to be sold out To your purposes, because I only have one life. It'll soon be passed, and only what's done for Jesus will last. I'm going to finish and close in verse 12, and then we're going to pray. This is a word of hope and inspiration. James says this Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this communion table, there is an invitation for us to give you our hearts and to say, God, purify my heart. Would you help me? I pray that as people come down, this would be a holy moment. And for many of us, we will remember what we prayed on this day. May you be glorified. May the Holy Spirit come with power. May you convict and grip our hearts. Claim what is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.